But I first want to start with just the idea of foot washing. And we were talking about this at the elder meeting even on uh, Thursday, where I was like, have you guys ever washed people's feet or had your feet washed? And one was like, yes, I did. My youth pastor did it. It was super awkward. Um, Another person was like, yeah, they do this all the time in the you know, country where we've served, and it kind of comes across sometimes as showy because you have these, these moments where everyone's watching you do this. And uh, so Jesus was not trying to be showy here just, just by telling he's at a dinner with his disciples, so it's not like, everyone watch me do this. But uh, we take John 13, and we do some interesting things with it in how we are to practice. So I just want to start with the reminder of kind of where we are uh, culturally, is that first, the footwear of choice was generally sandals. The road of choice were generally dirty. And a general habit of hospitality was to have, for your guests, a basin so that they, when they arrived, could wash their feet. And we don't have those things, really, do we? We don't have basins. We're like, okay, hey, before you come in, you know, take your shoes off, wash your feet right here by the door. We have somebody. Um, there were household servants or slaves that would often be given this task. Uh, if they didn't have that task, it might be parceled out to somebody else in the family uh, based upon authority. So uh, kids would wash parents' feet, right? Like, like, like they would have this kind of hierarchy of who would do the task, but certain people would not be seen as uh, low enough to do the task. Uh, they wouldn't, you know, their, their, their authority or their status would be such that if they were to do it, it would be rather peculiar. So they would have these basins, people would wash their feet, uh, and it's funny because you try to find like a similar cultural practice, and we don't really have one. We don't have a foot washing practice, like, like what, is, what is the similar thing? But we'll get to ideas there, but just so you know, like that's what's going on. And so Jesus wasn't doing something totally new, he wasn't doing something that these guys hadn't even heard of before. He wasn't doing something that didn't happen, you know, that, that, that was new to the culture. He was doing something within the culture that was kind of parceled out to people of lower authority and lower status. That's what foot washing was there for because, I mean, honestly, feet are a little gross. I mean, I'm sure you all have beautiful feet, uh, but they're a little gross, especially as your kids get older and you're like, is that your feet? So we're going to see a couple of things in this passage. We're going to see the demonstration of Jesus, or the demonstration of love, the offering that Jesus gives, and the command for his disciples. In these first five verses, we see the demonstration of love. That's Christ's love for us. Service. That's what he does. So his demonstration of love is service. Now this will continue, not just in the foot washing, but throughout all the way to his death, burial, and resurrection. But John is kind of setting you up to go in verse 1, hey, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world, having loved his own who were in the world, this phrase, he loved them to the end. And that really means he showed them the fullest extent of his love, that he held nothing back. And so we see that in foot washing. We're going to see that even as he goes and he is crucified for our sins. So he's demonstrating in these coming chapters the fullest effect of his love. And it's interesting what he does here because he's like not skywriting, right? Like, oh, I love you so much. Or all of these engagement stories that we have. We're like, you just, I'm, I'm sorry if you're not married right now because there's a lot of pressure to kind of broadcast to the world how loving you are. 
I just can't keep up with it. It's like, well, I got your photographer, you got your this, you got your that, you got this. And Jesus, showing his demonstration of love in a private moment with his disciples, begins showing the full extent of what he intends to do for his disciples and what he would expect for them to do. So during the supper, when the devil had put into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him, so remember Judas is going to betray Jesus and hand him over, Jesus knows the Father had given him all things to his hand. He'd come from God and was going back from God. He rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That's Jesus' movement toward the disciples. Now, if you're a disciple in this moment, I would venture to think you're probably a little uncomfortable and likely embarrassed. Because I think what this is saying is that no one even thought about it. Right? Like, like foot washing as you enter into a house should be a thing, and the disciples are like, wait, was that your job? Who's, who, was, who was the one who was supposed to be doing this? Because now Jesus is doing this for all of us. Now, let's remember John 1, which we preached at the beginning of August. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created by Him, and without Him, not anything was made that was made. This is Jesus, the Word of God, who has authority over everything who has called his disciples into a relationship with them, that he is training and teaching them to go out and be fishers of men, which we will see in his great commission in a couple of weeks. And yet, there we are in this private moment, Jesus taking on the position of slave, of servant of the house, and doing for the disciples the thing that maybe they should even be doing for him. Jesus does this. And I, I can't even, as I try and think about it, I can't even really fathom how to express that the God who created everything and even at that moment is holding the world together is now stooping, humbly washing his disciples' feet. A job that in some circles you would not even uh, touch. You didn't want to be the neighborhood foot washer. You didn't want to be known for that if that was your task. And yet Jesus, in all his glory, we've seen all the things that he's done thus far. The healing, the care, the teaching, the instruction, the transfiguration. If you've read that, when he's clothes are as white as anything. Whiter than any bleach could ever make it bleach. You go, well, you haven't seen you know, Clorox. No, whiter than anything. And then there he is. And this in itself needs to challenge how we view authority. Because there is Jesus with all authority and with all power and with all strength. And at that moment, even, even permitting, allowing for those disciples to take breaths because he's holding everything together. It's not as if Jesus just gave up that power of being the creator. He's like, I'm not going to be creator for a little while. Fully God, right there in that moment, washing his disciples' feet. And the disciples, of course, 
couldn't handle it. Now, this is the other thing. Jesus chose this position. Could he, as teacher, have said, hey guys, somebody forgot to wash the feet. Can somebody take that on? And the disciples would have gone, yeah, I'll do it. You know, one of them might have gone, well, I'm, you know, I'm the greatest in the kingdom, so I'm not going to do it, right? Because they were always arguing over that. But Jesus, in that moment, enters into a position of lowliness, enters into a position of servitude, identifies himself with the lowest servant in the home, willingly, gladly, and to teach. Because Jesus is always teaching. He's always instructing. Even when they don't get it, he's like, you're not going to get this yet, but soon you will. That's what he says. So Jesus demonstrates his love through service. Now, this is hard for you or for me to reconcile because we often want to demonstrate our love through words. I'm going to tell people that we love them, which you should. I think that's a good thing. It's good to say I love you. It's good to hear uh, from people in your family, people in your church that you love them. That's great. But Jesus equates his service to his disciples in this way as a demonstration of his love. That his love for his disciples was not showy. It wasn't out there in public for the world to see. It was in that moment taking a humble posture with those around him. Now, we then have this interaction between Peter and Jesus in verses 6 through 11. And what we hear, it really is the offering of Jesus. Because he's now, Jesus has this way of, of kind of bouncing outside of the immediate situation and starting to talk about something that's bigger than that. He always has this kind of way to kind of go, oh no, this is really what I'm talking about. Like, tear this temple down and it's going to be, you know, put back together in three days. And people are like, how in the world are you going to tear down a temple like, like, and rebuild it? It's taking, you know, forever to build this thing. So Jesus has this way of referring to things that are often bigger than the specific moment. And that's what he's doing right here in verses 6 through 11. So he came to Peter, and if you don't know how Peter operates, he's kind of a troublemaker um, and rash. He's just rash. And so when he thinks of something, he does it because he has no filter, like most of you. And Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Because he recognized who was supposed to be doing this. You wash my feet? And look at even what he calls him. Lord, do you do this? Jesus, in his general fashion, answered the way he would. Hey, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter goes, no, you shall never wash my feet. Ever. He's about to change his tune really quickly. Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So what happens? Well, Peter's like, well, okay, okay, okay. well, then not my feet, but my hands and my head too, just kind of my whole body, you know, head to toe, I want to be washed. If that's the thing, I want to share with you, Jesus. And so Jesus said, the one who has bathed, this is a weird little phrase that kind of gets dropped in here. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he who knew who was to betray him, or Jesus knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. 
So you kind of go, Jesus, I, I was even joking with folks, I'm like, if you just kind of removed that, that little interaction from this, because Jesus is about to explain the foot washing and why that's important in the coming verses. But right here is this interaction that seems to transcend the moment just a little bit. So he's down there washing Peter's feet, and Peter's like, I don't want you to have anything to do with this. He goes, no, you have to do this, because if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no share with me. Peter says, well, don't wash all of me. He goes, no, you're already clean, but not all of you are clean. What? Because he knows that Judas is there, and Judas is going to betray him, so clearly Judas is kind of once they start referring later after the resurrection, like the 11, you're going to be like, sorry, Judas. So not all of you are clean. So he knows that Judas is there. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. And so he's speaking to his 11, going, you're clean, but not all of you, because there's this one here who's not. And this is what seems to be an incredibly interesting interaction. And so I'm going to give you my tentative hypothesis after just kind of going, Lord, what are you, why are you having this interaction here? And this is what I would say. Through faith in Jesus, we are totally clean. Our hearts are clean. Our lives are renewed. We are, to use the phrase, made righteous in him through faith in Jesus. So he provides for us total cleansing. The one who has been washed does not need to be cleaned again. Already cleaned. Already cleansed. So this isn't really about the moment, I don't think. I don't think this is like, well, Peter, did you bathe earlier? Like, you know, now we've got to clean your feet. So the one who's bathed, verse 10, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And then he says to his disciples, and you are clean. And so I think he recognizes that there are 11 there who are with him of the 12 who are faithful to him, who trust in him, and are part of the team. Now it's always like, this is interesting because he hasn't risen yet. And the Spirit hasn't come. And so kind of what do you do with this kind of in-between period? But these guys are following Jesus. They're trusting what has been revealed. And they are with him, even though they're kind of foolish about it. And Peter's not even done being foolish about it. But Jesus knows them. And he knows what's going on in their heart. You are already clean. So the offering of Jesus is cleansing. He said, I'm going to cleanse all of you. I don't cleanse you externally. That's not the point. I don't give you external cleansing. I, I cleanse your heart. But all you need as you go about your business in a given day is to have your feet washed, which is, again, an interesting thing. It's like, do I wash my feet every day? Do I say, hey, Jesus, wash my feet? Like, how do you do this? Well, remember a phrase that happens in one of John's epistles, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So I think what is going on here is that Jesus is saying, through faith in me, you are clean. And then there's just the regular confession of what is going on in your life that keeps the relationship strong, in a sense. It allows for us to continue to walk together because things don't get in the way. And as you just kind of journey throughout your day and journey throughout your life, you will find that you pick up all kinds of stuff, thoughts, words, attitudes, actions, beliefs, things, that you have to bring back to the Lord and say, Lord... Forgive me for the ways that I failed you. And he's like, done. Done. Because you're already clean. And these little things that come up always, because all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven in Jesus through faith in him. And so there's just this relational aspect of continuing to go to him for the cleansing that only he can give. 
the life that only he can give. And so there's this little kind of zoom in to this interaction when Jesus is going, you don't totally get what I'm saying now, but soon you will. And I think that's what that means. Soon you will, you'll see that I can cleanse you totally, and that as you go through your day, all you really need to do is come before me, confess, and we just keep moving. And then it goes back to his teaching. And he gives a command for the disciple, the command for us to serve. But not just to serve. There's a specific way to serve. So we start in verse 12. When he had washed their feet, put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said, do you understand what I have done to you? And in this moment, it's kind of like, you know when teachers ask you questions and you feel like you should know the answer, but you really don't? And you're like, oh, you're looking around waiting for the person to do this. I knew this guy all the time where he'd just be like, and you know what that verse says, right? I've said this before. Like, well, why don't you tell me what that verse says? And I'll just kind of affirm it in you. Or you, you get it started and I'll be able to finish it. And so Jesus is like, clearly you guys know what I have just done here, right? And he knows they don't know. So he continues in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord. They understand that. You call me teacher and Lord. I'm, I'm in charge here. And you're right. I am that. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. An example. Meaning I've given you a way to understand the way I want you to serve. I've given you this as an example. That you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. A messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Meaning you will never ascend past Jesus. He's God. We can't ascend past him. And he's using an illustration. I go, yeah. If you know these things, I'm sorry, uh, then, then the one who sent them, greater than the, uh, I'm sorry, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus is going, guys, you've seen what I have done. This was an example. If I do this for you, you do this for one another. This is how it works. And, and he really just says, do this, because I've done it. He doesn't really have an expectation that you wouldn't. Now, does he mean then, just as I have washed your feet, then you just always need to be washing everybody else's feet? Well, there's no real illustration of the apostles having foot washing services. There's no illustration of people walking around washing people's feet all the time. Uh, though that did kind of get picked up as a practice, and even in some church traditions, they would have that as a sacrament. Like Jesus said to wash feet, so we're going to wash feet. But I would say that I think that perspective is a little off because Jesus is demonstrating for them, I'm going to take on the lowest place, the lowest place in the culture, the lowest place that you feel, the thing that you think I shouldn't do. I'm going to assume that position for you. And thus, because I have done this for you, and you're never greater than me, you should do what you've seen me do. And this is great on a couple of re- uh, for a couple of reasons, but Jesus never does, or never asks his disciples to do more than he would do for them, because they can't. But he does expect his disciples to do what they can do, in the example and path that he had set. So what I hear him saying here, 
and it seems to be rather clear to take the lowest place. To be glad about it. To willingly and joyfully enter into positions of lowly, and I might even add, though, though hear me in the word, humiliating service. Where you go, I don't want my friends to see me doing that. That's embarrassing. Oh my gosh, why do you do that? You know, can't you afford people to go do that for you? Or can't you do this? Or whatever else. Like, Jesus takes this idea of upward mobility and flips it on its head. And I have spent a lot of time in my life reading about like, leadership pipelines and language of developing people. And I really like those things, but there's been this part of it that's always bugged me. And you can talk to any of my friends who have seen me do this. I'm just like, there's this part that bugs me is that leadership pipelines go up. The arrow goes up. Like you give somebody a little bit of a, a task and then you trust them with more of a task and then you give them more and more and more. And then over time, they grow in faithfulness and faithfulness and they become awesomer and awesomer and awesomer. And pretty soon they're like, oh, I'm awesome. And I just like, they always have this arrow going up. I'm like, that's not what Jesus did. I understand what the illustration is trying to do, but that's not what Jesus did. Jesus went down. As he grew in authority, in people's eyes, not in actuality, but as people recognized more and more of who he was, and they saw more and more of who he was, and even the disciples, because just remember this, he was just kind of heralded into the city. Everyone was crying out for him and seeing him do what he did. Like, he, he just he kind of had followings, had a crowd, Yet here we are with Jesus going the opposite direction and then saying, I fully expect you to do the same thing. To do the same thing. To take the lowest place. And I find that for us an incredibly hard thing to do. Because the language that we often speak as both Americans and sometimes even just as followers of Jesus is, you don't need to do that. You shouldn't do that. And I'm like, no, I think we should. I think we should. Now, does that mean I would you know, want you guys to come over to my house and like plunge my toilet? I mean, maybe, but if you're not a plumber and there's a bigger, bigger problem, you might just break it. So we don't want to do that. And also, all the toilets at our house work right now. So don't, don't worry, I'm not dropping a hint. But there is this thing for us as followers of Jesus that we must recognize. Is that our status, our authority, our influence, and our power in this world means basically nothing. Because Jesus says, serve. You serve. And you can be exhausted by your service. And that's okay. Why? Because he did it. Not only did he do it, but we're going to follow even next week that he did it, crucified, died, buried. That he will do things for us that we would never be able to do. He would, uh, he would demonstrate his love in ways that only he as God could demonstrate his love. But in these things, he says to do it. And so emotively, I've tried to go, okay, well, what is some kind of connection that we can make here, God? Like, I, I don't know. So I'll put it this way. Are there tasks in your house, we'll just say, that if somebody else other than you did them, you would be embarrassed? 
would you be he's like, ooh, ooh, please don't do that. Like, we have three boys. Don't clean our bathroom. Young boys. What are those areas of maybe even your own life? You're like, I, would, I just don't want anybody to know that that exists. And when they come over, you like close that off. Hey, you can go anywhere in the house but that room or but that place. And you do it. I was talking to my buddy who knows John really well, and I said, I said, what are ways that you see this happening? And he goes, well, you know, you might need to wa- literally wash somebody's feet if they're infirm and they can't bend down and wash their feet. But while you're there, you clip their toenails. That makes sense care for them. Go to places where you get no status and where you're never seen. And then I would add to it this. Don't post about it on social media. (laughs) Because Jesus says, well, if you've done that, you've already received your reward. Five likes. Great. People thought it was great. So you don't broadcast it. You just do it. And again, these are things that are so different than how we operate because we want to promote, we want to ascend, we want people to like what we say, we want them to like how we say it. And yet, what Jesus says is do the hardest task. Take the lowest place. In the home, in life, in the church, for the disciples to think nothing of it. Sometimes, Sometimes, the harder thing is not to be the one doing it, but to be the one letting the other person do it, right? So, so many of us are like Peter, and we're like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. Like, I was going to clean that after you left. I saw it just there for a second. I was going to do that. And we have all these things that get into our head, don't we? Like, oh, gosh, they're probably judging me right now about how dirty my house is. They're probably just, I, I, I can't do this. And so, so often we're like Peter, we're like, no, 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 you should never do that. Well, that in and of itself shows that we don't understand John 13. We should honestly just go, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for doing that. And there are some people in my life that I have seen do that in ways that I, I still don't get. And I always I keep living in the home world because that's where, where I've been. But I remember in Baton Rouge, I don't know why I take on renovation projects, Courtney doesn't know either. I'm convinced I can do it. And then um, I understand what total depravity is every time I enter into that. So I'm convinced that I can do it. I'm so sure of myself, and I think, okay, I got this. And then within like five minutes, it's like, APB, if anybody is able to come over and help me with these things, I can't do it. I don't know how. I'm stuck. And all my friends just show up gladly. Like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go do that. I remember like, I had my buddy Chris underneath my sink installing a disposal. Disposals, right? I mean, when you just deal with dirty, stinky water and stuff like that, and you're just, it's just gross. And there he is under there, and if you've ever been under a sink on your back, it's not the most comfortable position to be in, but he thinks nothing of it. And we can't do this, okay, you have to watch this, we can't do this kind of one for one, hey, I got you next time. Because that's not how it works. So this is not a trade. We're not bartering, well, if you serve me a whole lot, then I'll serve you a whole lot some other time. Like, I owe you one. There's no owing going on here. This is just the general way in which we operate. You just do it. And so we say to our friends and to our family within the church, how can I help? What do you need? 
How can I serve? I remember my friend Judy. Judy just sitting in my house for hours, like cutting. Um, what are they? I guess you put them in your cabinet so your dishes don't kind of just roll all around or whatever else. Judy's just, just over there. I think I got Hans. I, I know you don't even, you even think about it. I have all this stuff. I'm going to show up. I'm just going to go do it. You have me all day. I'm like, what? Those are the things where you go, ah, you should know. Like you have, when you start to say these things, like you have better things to do. You have more important things to do. When those things start to creep into our minds and change how we operate, then we realize we're flipping back into Peter. And really the response of the believer toward another believer is, again, thank you. Because what this is, as it should be for Jesus, is that it's life-giving. It is life-giving in faith to assume the lowest place with no hope of ever being seen, with no expectation at all, but just to take that place because it is a time where you are reflecting the character and heart of your Savior. And discipleship in and of itself is following after Jesus and growing more and more in his likeness as we live in this world awaiting his return. And so these opportunities to serve, to stoop, to humble ourselves, these are opportunities for us to reflect Jesus. And who doesn't want those? They abound in life. They abound to humbly serve brothers and sisters so that so that they can in a sense feel what it is like to be cared for by the Savior in some small way and it's humbling for us to do it so that our hearts can grow more comfortable with being like Jesus and so it's funny because in those moments where we do that from the position where we do not want accolades, where we do not post, where we do not share, where we do not talk, where we do not tell everybody how big of a servant we are, because in all those moments, we are not doing it as Jesus did. In those moments, we get done. And it's funny what starts to happen, because you're like, what else? Like, if something's changed. What else is there? What can I do? And you're like, no, nah, man. You know, like, I, I, that's why I say, like, some jobs don't hire out. Like, this is the hard thing. Like, lean on your church family to help you with stuff. That's hard to do. It is hard to do to lean on your church family to serve one another. But this is something that Jesus has asked for us to do. And yet we want to have everything ourselves in its own parcel, in its own place, in its own way. That's why Peter was so bothered by Jesus' interaction. You shouldn't do this. There's people for that. And it's not you because you're too high in status. You're my teacher, you're my Lord, and in our culture, teachers and lords don't do that. We want to be self-sufficient. And what we need to know here as followers of Jesus is we can't be. And Jesus himself is always cleaning up after us. He's always cleaning up after us because we never get it right. 
Like, I love when I see on Twitter, like, you know, kids doing stuff, and they all do it wrong, because every time I see them, like, that's the church, right? Like, that's what we do. Like, we're always like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get it. You color the wrong thing. You run the wrong way. You just, and everything, like, you're shooting the wrong goal. All of those things. That's like every Sunday here, that is what we do. Like, man, slam dunk. You're like, Hans, that was the other goal. Oh, man. So Jesus is always there making it right. He's always behind us cleaning it up. We'll never be able to outserve, outlove, outstoop Jesus. And yet he invites us in and says, if I've done this for you, do this for one another. Because this is life-giving. It fuels us. And I would say for us at Genesis, it should mark us. That if you're in a community group, um, those people who you hover around every week, every other week, when you make it, whatever that might be, those people that are, you're hovering around in life, one of the hardest things to do is to communicate areas of need that you have that might be embarrassing, that might cause you to struggle, and allow for those in your church family to say, we got this. We can do this. I'll take that on. You're like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't need you to do that. No, I don't do that. It's a foreign language for us because we have been trained to live in our own power. And Jesus says, just do it. And I love that he says that. Because there's never going to be a time in your walk with the Lord where you're like, I am crushing this service thing. And there's never a time where you go, I've got, I, I have it down, I have it licked, I am the best servant, I know, you know, like, because once you start doing that, you're kind of the opposite. So we never have these moments where we go, I'm in. Because the flesh, and this is the flesh and the spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5. The flesh and the spirit always are going to be like this. The spirit is saying, be like Jesus, be like Jesus, be like Jesus. I'm going to empower you to serve like Jesus, follow after Jesus. I'm going to show you. And the flesh is like, no! Right? Like that's every single time. And so that battle will wage until the Lord returns. Your desire to serve, your desire to be served, the ways in which you want to be seen, that battle between flesh and spirit is going to continue. So you never hit this point where you're like, I am killing this service thing. Because that's when you're just like, flesh, you just take over there. So that's what I love what he says. Because it's not bound to any culture, it's not bound to any place, it's not bound to any person. He just says, you're my disciples. You should do this. Because I've given you an example. We can't die for the sins of the world. Only Jesus can. But we can serve in ways that Jesus has demonstrated for us to serve. We should not cordon off those places and those spaces. One of the hardest things to do sometimes is just to sit because we're so busy. And I encourage all of you to do this. It's just to sit and go, where could I step in? Or maybe stoop down into someone's life and serve them. We don't think about that a lot, number one. Number two, and this is embarrassing for us, so we don't often say it, we don't know each other well enough to be able to do that. Or we don't let ourselves be known well enough to be able to do that. And so you're like, I don't know anybody. I don't even know where I would go or how I would do this or whatever else it might be. Even reading this this week, there's been things that have come up in my life where I'm like, I am failing here. I could do this better here. 
in here and in this relationship and with this thing because my gosh, the only reason I have to not do that is because I value myself too much. The only reason that I don't enter into those spaces and take the lowest place is because I just think I'm too important. My time's too important, my money's too important, my life's too important, my day's too important, and so I don't do that. It's like the first episode of Undercover Boss, John 13. I'm kidding, not what it was really like. After a year, you guys are still struggling with the jokes, but that's okay. Maybe it's the joke giver. Yeah, it's probably my fault. So with that, I'd like us just to go before the Lord and ask that he would make us more like him in this way. Because he wants to. And honestly, because the Spirit is in all of those in this room who have faith in Jesus, you want to as well.